News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorkers podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers. The city. I'm Christina Greer. We've got lots of news to jump into from another jam-packed week in New York City. But first, a word from Harry Siegel. Thanks, Chrissy. And hello. Hello. As listeners may already know, today is Giving Tuesday, a day for making donations after the chaos of Thanksgiving, Black Friday, and Cyber Monday. Well, FAQ NYC is part of the city, that nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom that serves the people of New York City. And as a nonprofit, we really depend on your donation to keep going. The city's investigations, explainers, reporters, and editors, and these podcast episodes, all of it depends on readers and listeners. So please make your gift today. Go to thecity.nyc slash give. Any amount helps, but the best way to support is to set up an automatic monthly donation because those really help us plan for the future. And if you already have a monthly donation, thank you. And if you want, you can always make a special extra gift. So go to thecity.nyc slash give to make your donation today. Again, that's thecity.nyc slash give. Thank you for listening, supporting us, and spreading the word if you like and you can. With that, Chrissy, we're recording this on Monday morning, and we've got lots to discuss, as you said, coming back to reality after the holiday weekend. So several disruptive protests from people angry about America's support for Israel, including blocking the uh, Manhattan Bridge, gluing themselves to the street to try and disrupt the Macy's parade. Plus, it looks like there's going to be a deal today to finally get the conditional pot licenses meant for people who've been wrapped up in the justice system when pot was criminalized open again by settling a suit in which veterans had said they were supposed to be part of that early list and had been cut off. Finally, Albany is maybe gearing up to stymie the NYPD's plan to encrypt police radios and cut off the public. Um, Some listeners may recall uh, an episode back in August. uh, Listen, the radios will go dark. You will hear nothing with a longtime New York photographer, Todd Maisel, warning about what was coming. Over to politics, there is now a sex crime accusation against Eric Adams from decades ago when he was in the transit police that was filed under New York State's Adult Survivors Act. And there's a new poll separately showing plummeting approval ratings for the mayor as prospective challengers, evidently including one Andrew Cuomo, as you and Katie discussed last week, who has his own former aide suing him under the Adult Survivors Act, by the way. So what seems to be cooking there much more immediately, libraries are now closed on Sundays pretty much citywide as part of the mid-year budget cuts Adam says are necessary because of the migrants arriving here. I have my doubts. Uh, but Chrissy, that's a mouthful. Uh, where do you want to start? Oh, Harry. <laughs> oh, Harry. Um, well, let's let's get the mayor and the governor out of the way. So I know some folks had a stressed out Thanksgiving because we know the Adult Survivors Act essentially was, what, a year reprieve? And people had essentially until the evening of Thanksgiving, what, at midnight, to file a claim. And I'm sure there are lots of politicians and celebrities who just had a little sweat on the brow waiting for that deadline to pass. But I do think, you know, from the Politico article this morning, um, 
represent or a city council member uh, Ayala, who has been very clear that she does not like the mayor. You know, she initially endorsed Scott Stringer, rescinded that endorsement, endorsed the mayor. Now they don't get along. There's rumors, as you said, of her possibly running uh, for mayor. But I do think that that well-reported Politico piece is important because she essentially said, listen, everyone is innocent until proven guilty. So right now it's a touch of hearsay. Um, I mean, it is a it's a complaint that's filed, but I believe the one against the mayor is bare bones, um, and it hasn't. It's not as robust. It's sort of a notice that a full complaint will be filed will be forthcoming, and which you know what was stated in that really well done article. I, I can't remember. Is it Jeff? Is it Emily? I don't know. It's there. Are Nick. I, I, the, between the three of them, I'm just like it's it's solid reporting, and I'm I'm into it. Um, but I thought what was really well done in the article, which was stating essentially the woman who's bringing the accusations against Eric Adams has a pretty robust history of bringing lawsuits, uh, different types of lawsuits. Um, you know, she was hit by a kindergartner and said that her skin stung for six months. You know, she fell out of a chair at the airport and sued American Airlines. Uh, you know, she was, but she was in like two fatal, not fatal, she was in two car crashes previously, so they couldn't decide is it the chair? Is it something previously? So, like, she's got a few, quite a few lawsuits across different jurisdictions and states and different levels. But I thought what was interesting about the article is, like, just because she's litigious doesn't necessarily mean she's lying. But it is worth pointing out that people who are litigious don't necessarily, in the court of public opinion, get the same level of benefit of the doubt and respect as others. So I think it's been it will be interesting to see how many people sort of sit on the sidelines especially with the Eric Adams piece where it's like let's wait and see let's not jump to conclusions because on the one hand we could be dealing with a woman who has a credible allegation from 1993 and she is just now bringing it to the fore because of this very important piece of legislation that allowed all survivors men and women to do so or we could be dealing with someone who likes to bring lawsuits and we're not too sure and so I'm curious as to how long the sideline piece will be for a lot of legislators who either want to be mayor, who don't like the mayor, uh, who see an opening with, you know, federal probes and all these other things. So Adams, we should note, flat out says he does not know who this woman is. And interestingly, NBC local went up with the story by uh, by by Russo, uh, by Melissa Russo and Miles Miller that named the woman. Uh, other outlets, including Politico, have not. But Adams flat out says, I don't know her. I didn't do this, and I wouldn't do something like that. Um, to Ayala, it really grabbed me, this uh, um, this Politico piece in Playbook, right? This is Diana Ayala. She's considering running for mayor. And she says, I want to hear more. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus without evidence. Um, and then asked about uh, Stringer. And as you said, she pulled her endorsement and before really there was much in the way of evidence out there. And notably, mm -hmm. by the way, no one is suing Stringer. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I didn't occur to me, given the accusations against him and how those seem to time with the election cycle. Um, and she says it's different because Stringer was a candidate and Adams is the uh, sitting mayor. So if there's evidence, her response will be strong. But I, I don't think that's the same threshold she brought to the uh, to the Stringer thing. I mean, this is tricky, and I think the Democratic Party is trying to sort a lot of this out in real time. Well, I think it is tricky, you know, I mean, because, one, we're talking about allegations 
from a long time ago, right? And so obviously people's memories are different. And also times were different. You know, I mean, we can look at old timey TV shows and see what they say and how they behave. And obviously we've come a long way in 30 years. We've definitely come a long way in five years. Um, I do think it is sort of a sitting mayor is different from a candidate. I've always been fascinated, though, Harry, with this when, when it came to Stringer. Yeah, I have my own thoughts about those allegations. But what I thought was more fascinating than sort of these age-old allegations, you know, him and his staffer, who's his age, and they're both, you know, the same age and all this other stuff, um, was that no one came to Scott Stringer's defense. And this is someone who'd been in in public service for 30 years. And I don't know if it was just like the time of Me Too where people don't like bring out their friends anymore, where it's like, Harry's a good guy. He would never do that. You know, it's like, drag out all your female friends. Or is it, this guy's been in public service and the public eye for 30 years, and you don't have anyone who's willing to vouch for you. Like, that was the piece that was most surprising for me, where it's like, you didn't have old school people who were like, I know him, I know his heart, I know his character, this could never be. Um, now listen, I'll be very clear, I've said it before. I'm not one of these believe all women, women, right? Like, I'm Black, I know the stories of Emmett Till and the stories of Black men who've been lynched because women just decide to lie, white women specifically. Um, So I've never been in the bandwagon of just like carte blanche, believe all women. I do think that very few women bring false charges because they're, I mean, we know how women get treated when they bring charges. But I think that in the Me Too era, we haven't had this like really nuanced conversation of the gray areas of like, What's the, what is consent? What's the different conversations about consent? You know, is a kiss on the cheek the same as like boob grabbing? I I don't necessarily think so. But then again, like that's not for me to decide. That's like a case by case basis. And that's what makes it complicated. It's an individual set of case by case bases. So, you know, length of time knowing someone, you know, I mean, with the Scott Stringer case, it's like, well, they hung out all the time. That still doesn't mean that she didn't feel like his behavior was inappropriate. So like, it's so, to me, I hate this word, but like, it is so complicated because unless you were the person, one of the two parties, it's really sometimes hard to make a judgment call. So I think this is why more and more people are recognizing this like grayer complexity of sexual harassment or and also sexual assault. And so this is why I think we're seeing some people sitting on the sidelines a little bit more these days, you know, especially, I mean, for Cuomo, this is person number what? I mean, we're we're getting in double digits up in here. Well, I was going to bring Cuomo up here because Cuomo, of course, podcast guest, mm-hmm. um, he says, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there was discussion of this uh, last week, what a, uh, what a bad guest he was in the view of, uh, you know, and I think Katie. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Cuomo now says, regularly that he was forced out of office and Cuomo, you know, as a matter of fact, resigned as Mm -hmm. allegations swelled. And then as Tish James came out with the report and had one additional accuser to add to the count. And one of the things Cuomo's people have said, I have real sympathy with, and there's several there, and I don't have finally any sympathy with Cuomo on this, any, is that uh, some of the accusations that came out were infinitely more serious than others. Like uh, a woman saying, like a public circumstance, uh, she made him feel uncomfortable while taking a photo is very different from a staffer saying he assaulted me, uh, you know, in in his residence in Albany. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet the press, and I was at the Daily Beast, and I saw our headlines doing this, would just be like, you know, X 
plus one accuser emerges, and we're treating all these like like, like they were uh, the same sort of thing. And then just getting back to the present, clearly Cuomo feels that there is enough opportunity at least to be worth doing polling on to be checking this out now. And as uh, John Katsimatidis, who has this fascinating radio station, it's called WABC, although ABC doesn't own it anymore. Um, right. He ran for mayor himself. He ran a, a sort of ridiculous Republican campaign uh, when, uh, you know, against Joe Loda to run against Bill de Blasio and lost. He had very little idea what he's saying, but he's been drumbeating city in crisis, city in crisis. And David Patterson is on all the time adding to this drumbeat and Cuomo and Giuliani and Roger Stone and a very uh, strange sort of circle of people who want to say that, that, that things are disastrous in New York. I don't think they are, but polling does indicate that New Yorkers are really separate from these allegations, of course, but like just not that happy with Eric Adams or the state of the city. And Adams, of course, is saying apocalyptic stuff is not the migrants are going to destroy us, but the migrant crisis is we don't have money for libraries. We're going to have less sanitation, police, firefighters, real basic services. Um, it seems like a very weird moment and a very weird moment for the mayor to be saying this, although to some extent, it seems like he's trying to almost hold himself or the city hostage to try to get money from or more support from Washington. Yeah. So, Chrissy, I, I've been away for a bit. You, you are wise. I, I just love your thoughts ah! on how all this fits. Um, well, I think the like Harry, it's so you know. I said this to Katie last week. It's I can't call it right. I mean, this is the first time that I'm just like, and she was like, "Really? That's that's why we got into Miss Cleo because it's like I'm not a political psychic, but we're seeing this complex dance between the local, state, and federal levels, and we we have all Democrats in play." But it's, I mean, this is so Trumpian. I mean, you remember Trump was like the first person to, you know, talk smack about, openly talk smack about people in his own party. And we're like, we didn't, we haven't seen that before. They may have their disagreements kind of behind closed doors. And and we know that there might be beefs and factions, but like we never really saw it openly. But then we saw the former Republican president go after people in his own party. I think Eric Adams has a lot of that. He's like, well, listen, if it's me or Joe, it's going to be Joe. Right. Like, I'm not going to sit here and let my numbers go down when I could just either pass the buck or highlight the buck, which is this man's not giving us enough money. I think it's interesting. Both of them have plummeting uh, poll numbers for various reasons. Both of them have, I think, some wins in different areas, and both of them are just kind of out to lunch in various areas. I don't know what it looks like, Harry, as it gets colder. And, you know, in my neighborhood, I've definitely seen some pop-ups where um, I was like, why are there a hundred people outside of this store? You know? And then I realized it was a pop-up that was giving away uh, coats and clothes. Um, you know, I just wrote my Amsterdam news column encouraging people to like clean out their closets. So like, you know, if you've got sweaters and coats that you haven't been wearing, just give them away. Like make room for more blessings, but also like just people are coming with like t-shirts and flip-flops. So I think it's becoming a little more visible to certain people. And Eric Adams is keenly aware that some people just don't like the visual, but other people do have this empathetic streak. And they're like, well, where is the money going now? See your previous comment about various protests that shut down parades and bridges. I think that especially young people that I've talked to, they're making this connection of, you know, where money goes in foreign international affairs versus domestic affairs. It's complex. 
conversation about where our taxes go. But I do think that a lot of people, because they feel like things are tighter now, right? They feel like everything's expensive. You know, the running joke is like, you leave the house, you spend $100. But like, people feel that rent is up. They feel groceries are more, even though technically groceries, I think, were cheaper this year for Thanksgiving. Gas was cheaper. Like, things are trending downward. But that doesn't matter if it's real. The perception is things are tight. So that's all that really matters for people's pocketbook issues and why they would go to the polls. So I don't really know, Harry. I mean, we've got a mayor that's got a lot on his personal plate. And I'm always fascinated slash a little worried when men have too much on their personal plates because we know that they tend to lash out in policy, right? We can think about Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky, and him like bombing Somalia. You know, we can think about sort of just like men spiraling out of control when they've got sort of the heat lamp on and then they seem to be irrational and make rash decisions. That's kind of what concerns me. Um, Or is Adams the sort of super smart politician that I thought he was a few months ago? You know, as I said to Katie last week, I'm not sure if he's, I think he's a really good politician. Policy-wise, we don't always agree, obviously, but politician-wise, I got to tip my hat. Now, is it you're really good in small time and, you know, your corner cutting made you a good politician and it doesn't work in the big leagues? Or are you just that good where you're like Donald Trump where nothing touches you? You know, it's, you know, it's kind of like one of those debate conversations that I was having with someone about um, the coup in Harlem with Keith Wright and Yusef Salam. It's like, is Keith Wright the political genius of Harlem that has, you know, orchestrated a coup or was it just, Sometimes it's just time for a coup, right? (laughs) Like, sometimes it's not you. Sometimes it's just the time is right, and you just happen to be in the right spot. So that's what I'm trying to figure out with apps. There was a sign at the gas station on the corner of Flatbush Avenue and Kings Highway. I never got around to taking a picture of. I've not been able to find one since. If any listeners have one, please send it to me. Best sign I've ever seen. And it said, eggs fresh from the coup. (laughs) C-O-U-P. Love it. So I'm a little salty at our listeners, largely because Katie and I asked our listeners, please send us pictures of your plates. I don't know about Katie. I think she would have told me. I didn't receive nary FAQ on our Twitter Xbox, whatever it's called. We didn't receive any pictures of plates. And like, it was Thanksgiving. Maybe people were not concerned about sending pictures to Chrissy, Katie, and Harry while they're celebrating with their family and friends. But I did, I was curious because, you know, we were having this conversation about mashed potatoes and I just don't understand it. Um, So that's where we are, Harry. You know, with Eric Adams, um, as I've said before, I also don't know if it's the Trump strategy where it's like, if it seems like so much drama surrounding him, do people start to then feel like, ugh, it's the press again. They just bring up everything, right? So is it the nursing home and the nursery school or the sushi restaurant or the guys that he has dinner with or, like, he likes his fish filleted and, oh, he's a pescatarian or a poyotarian, like, or a vegetarian. I don't know. Like, now what's got, we, we've got sexual harassment by a woman who has, like, 18 lawsuits. Yeah, so it just, is it the thing where some people are like, This man is a problem, he's a menace, and everything swirls around him, and we just need stability. 
Or are we numb and immune to it because we had four years of pure chaos at the national level and like our spirits are just like dead to sort of being vigilant about politics in certain ways. And it's just like, oh, well, you know, because I've always asked you, what is the threshold for corruption in New York? What is the threshold where voters and New Yorkers are like, enough is enough and too much is too much, right? We saw that whole era where everybody in Albany went to prison. Like, not everybody. But, you know, it was just like a steady stream of the leadership in prison. R.I.P. Allen Hevesy. Um, so that didn't really phase people. And, like, I get it. It's Albany. People don't really pay attention. But, like, we saw so much corruption during the Trump administration. We saw, you know just like a swirl of like madness, chaos, and mayhem. So when it's local, are we just like, eh, that's just what people do. You know, Rudy Giuliani is like a laughingstock, hair dyeing, you know, drunken man in the streets these days. With so the like, show on WABC. Oh God, what is happening? So, I mean, again, the so, so is it one of those things where people are like, oh, these are just people like everybody else. They're a mess. What are you going to do? They went through COVID just like I did. You know, like they clearly have, you know, bedroom drama. They've got money drama. It's just, it's, do we, do people even care? I care, but I recognize that I'm not the average voter by any stretch of the imagination. So, and as Katie and I talked about last week, Harry, you know, I read the news. Some people just hear the news. Mm-hmm. And hearing the news is a very different story than like reading what, you know, Emily, Nick and Jeff are putting together or, you know, your columns where or Katie's columns that are like very detailed versus I heard all the libraries are closed. No one cares with, with, with the Adams stuff on a basic level. If he is not indicted and things are not collapsing, he remains the Democratic incumbent mayor of New York City, the city's second black mayor. That is a that is a steep hill for any challenger to climb. And I'm very confident on the investigative stuff, however dirty and corrupt some of this seems. If this does not reach the level of charges against the mayor, not his people, things just go on. We saw this with de Blasio, uh, and I expect we're, we're very much about to see it again. Uh, Chrissy, I did want to shift for one second. I think as our closing note here, speaking of winter coming and going from figurative to really literal numbness, you know, Eric Adams was on with Al Sharpton this weekend. Um, By the way, this is also in a New York playbook this morning. Everyone should, of course, subscribe to the City Scoop. uh, But Politico's New York playbook, Jeff Colden, and we know Nick Reisman is also Really excellent and useful if you do want to know a bit more about these things. So Sharpton asks Adams, uh, what's up with the winter and the migrants who are here? And Adams, in response to that question, but he's also talking about the codes, the costs and the other stuff, just says this place is in the Floyd Bennett Field shelter, which is like tense, mm-hmm. deep in Southern Brooklyn. The families are getting sent to now is not sustainable. And... uh they then shout out some reporting at the city by uh, my colleague Gwen Hogan about uh, how families uh, how families there are experiencing the place, and it's it's pretty brutal. Um, but again, I sort of wonder if if winter helps resolve some of the issues the mayor has failed to get to for himself, or if they just showcase the cruelty, or if or if if things just sort of 
stagger on and some people are half frozen and no one really, really cares. So we're going to find out soon. But this is, yeah. for instance, how Occupy ended, which was a very different thing mm-hmm. and a very different set of people, obviously. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's one thing to be out and making your way uh, when the weather is reasonably nice. It's another thing when it's bitter cold. Right. And so I'm of several minds, right? There are going to be some people where visuals work. Think about the civil rights movement. So when people see men, women, and children in T-shirts and it's getting cold, and they're going to be like, okay, something has to give. Like, I'll I'll work with the Adams administration even if I wasn't going to before because, you know, he's trying and we got to do something. We also have to be honest that, like, some people don't want any of these families here. And they're like, if it's too cold, then they should leave New York and go south. Um, And we need to be prepared to hear that narrative as well. Might not be as loud and vocal, but like, we know it's there. Um, I think we've always in this country relied on the generosity and kindness of citizens where the state fails us. Where I think we're at a really interesting moment politically in time is that we are one of the richest, if not the richest nation. I mean, I don't know how much Dubai and like the Emirates have, but you know what I'm saying. Like we've got we've got a lot of money and people pay a lot of money. Um, and I think people are like, well, then where is the money going? Because if it can't help these people, then what are what are we really paying for? Then we know that we're gonna have other people who are like, so then why? Like, I'm paying money, but I don't want to pay for these people. So now we have the a la carte taxes, right? So it's like, listen. We all pay for wars that we may or may not agree with, right? We pay for policing that we may or may not agree with. So this is no different. We pay for um, assistance that we may or may not agree with. But this is like, because it's two Democrats, you know, it's it's a different type of foil, right? Eric Adams is saying essentially that a beloved, relatively, you know, left-leaning Democratic president isn't helping us. I don't know where Kathy Hochul kind of fidgets herself into this. Um, I think she's just more concerned that migrants don't go north to various communities that will show up on the ballot box for her in two quick years. But I um, I don't know how this resolves itself, Harry, because it's a lot of families and it's a lot of need, like base level need. I mean, one of the stories today essentially said uh, – you know, migrants are getting $25 vouchers to go to Salvation Army. $25 to essentially buy an entire wardrobe um, is not a lot of money um, at all. And we we have to ask ourselves, like, why is it that people are so desperate to leave their various home countries and risk life and limb with their entire families to come here? Like, clearly, it's not for kicks and giggles. Um so I don't know. I mean, I think I'm just in like a, I'm not teaching this semester. So when I'm not teaching, I feel like my level of optimism optimism gets shaky. Like I'm always cautiously and, you know, pragmatically optimistic because I teach young people. When I'm not around them on a steady basis, my optimism gets a little, ugh, because I don't hear their fresh ideas and like hear their concerns in the same way. Um, so I'll be glad to like be back in the classroom, to be quite honest. Um because that just gives you a better perspective of, like, the good things in the world. Like, you know, hopefully some of these people will be our elected officials moving forward. So, yeah, that's kind of 
womp womp. I feel like Debbie Downer, but um, yeah. I mean, I've avoided some of this on the pod in part because it goes outside of our New York scope. But the migration happening now, which is around the world, the biggest since World War II, and will end up being bigger than that, and that has given tremendous power in a lot of instances to bottleneck countries like Turkey, and now Russia at the border of Finland around Europe, um, Mexico potentially could end up there, uh, has been remarkable. And plainly, this isn't something that's just about New York. Plainly, it's had a lot to do with the success of reactionary and often far-right people. And it's something that the, the, the world is trying to reckon with. My, my cause for optimism and to have something to give thanks for is as all this is happening, human nature and decency haven't changed. And I'm confident that the New Yorkers who are going to uh, support care and be decent for people who are arriving here. And I'm hopeful that we'll actually get to a political, because I like politics. I think this is how people represent their views. And I think people are fundamentally decent, a political understanding of the help that we want to give and find ways to give that decently through mm -hmm. the city and through individuals and uh, uh, their own institutions, um, uh, mutual aid groups and uh, uh, houses of worship. Religious institutions always yeah, step yeah. up. By Absolutely, and, um, and, and that we're going to find a way to uh, to see this through and to be decent to the uh, the people who've been here and the people who are coming here. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen. I implore our listeners to do a few things. One, clean out your closets. Um, I mean, that's you know, first of all, we should be doing it anyway for the new year, just to make space and for new energy, but. There are a lot of things, you know, my mantra is when in doubt, throw it out. If you pick up something, it's like, oh, I don't know. If you don't know, you don't know. If you don't know, you know. Give it to someone else. Let someone else, you know, enjoy whatever the thing is that made you very happy one point in time. Um, but I agree with you, Harry. I do think that, like, by and large, human nature is good. I don't think, I think we've got, you know, some bad apples up in here um, all over the world. but. By and large, people are good-hearted people, um, even when they're in a jam, right? Even when they're sort of feeling like their backs are against the wall. So hopefully, um, Joe Biden can also find some money under the couch cushions for us as New Yorkers. Um, I do think that the sort of naming and shaming strategy has been an interesting one from a Democratic mayor, but it is putting us in the conversation with uh, the federal government uh, and who who gets the priority of resources, right? And so if it's an idea of the squeaky wheel getting it, then clearly we're one of the squeakier wheels. So um, hopefully it'll resolve itself. And then just really quickly before we get out of here, I did want to um, just bring up the, the radio scanners and policing um, and podcasts guest, Albert Foxconn, who's been on quite a bit, breaking these things down for us, you know, had a lengthy series of quotes in the Times article. But I, it does concern me, Harry, largely because some of the articles that I read, you know, had journalists who follow the police uh, blotters, you know, to find stories and photojournalists especially. Um, and the fact that their communication could be scrambled so that 
citizens don't know what's going on just feels like another barrier to police accountability and transparency. I do understand when they say, you know, when they were hacked and, you know, it's like someone took over their airwaves for like five minutes, which is a lifetime in, in policing. I understand that, you know, obviously they have to update their antiquated systems so that they aren't susceptible for hacking. Totally understand that. Um, but I don't like this idea that citizens are completely out of the loop. Um I, I'm not one who's ever listened to a police scanner, um, but I do know a lot of journalists and photojournalists especially do use that as a resource to like get there in enough time um, to to bring stories to light. I will just note that, as I said, we we had a uh, we had uh, the episode with Todd Mazon. People may want to go back and listen to, uh, but that when. City and I was part of this reporting was reporting on this massive increase in the number of car chases. Part of why New York City was able to keep in the NYPD any notice of that from reaching the public for so long was that they were using a new citywide encrypted channel for the chases. And the supervisors were all, were all on this line and plainly they were encouraging officers to like do more pursuits and be tougher mm-hmm. about everything. And the public had zero, and this includes the press, right? Because the public, as we're talking about, is busy and not always right. paying attention to these things. Right. And they sort of rely on the press to notice on their behalf. The press had no access to this and no insight into how those conversations were. So this wasn't operational security and it's happening on a three-minute lag or whatever. This was nobody else can hear any of it. And anyone who thinks the path to public safety is a black box for the NYPD, hitting themselves and watch out. Right. Okay. Listen, we can't end on doom and gloom. I feel like this has been a heavy episode. Is it just me? Um, how was your Thanksgiving? We missed you terribly. Happy birthday, Katie Honan. Uh, so since you all didn't send me pictures of your plates, at least send Katie Honan a birthday message and a belated one to Harry Siegel. But how was your Thanksgiving, Harry? What did you eat and what was your favorite dish? Uh, did you cook? Uh, Are you freeloading? Commercial (laughs) special announcement. Popeye's now has uh, turkeys, uh, which I did not get around to this year because where we go to, they they do their own crazy deep fried turkey thing. Uh So I did not have that. I had um, the best gravy and the best stuffing and the best Mm. mac and cheese and mashed potatoes. And just to keep it all healthy, I had some green beans with that. They were also real tasty. Um, And then my younger one made the best lemon pie, lemon meringue pie Mm. I've ever had. I got there right at the end to get the tiny, tiny slice that was left. It was delicious. And then I slept for a day and a half. Yes. Yes. And I saw, I did see our listeners did not send pictures, but you sent a few on on the group text. So I have seen, I saw some sweet potato pies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you didn't send any pictures, however, of the smoked meats, which which uh, I heard oh. about. Mm. Yes, I'll send you some pictures of the smoked turkey, the smoked lamb, the smoked lamb lollipops, the smoked salmon, and the oh. smoked ham. Um, shout out to my dad who smoked it all and then drove it up from Delaware. Um, and then we had ceviche and Haitian rice and peas and mac and cheese and some really slamming green beans. Um, and a friend made stuffing. And do you call it stuffing or dressing? I call it stuffing. Uh, stuffing. I didn't even okay. know it was called dressing. Yeah, that's weird. Um, 
ceviche, and then I made sweet potato pies. Uh, but I go to this, it's not a bodega, but, you know, kind of like your neighborhood hardware store slash I get, like, Tupperware and light bulbs, but they have, I get my plants there. <laughs> they just have everything. Um, and so I was, exp- one of the guys last week, um, it, his English is not very good, and, uh, or I shouldn't say it's not very good. Um, he does not speak a lot of English, I should say. I'm sorry. So he essentially asked me uh, why he didn't have an invitation to Thanksgiving. <laughs> so, you know, we chuckled. And so I said, I'll bring you a sweet potato pie. And he he essentially said, I don't know what that is. So I pulled it up on my phone, what a sweet potato was. And he was like, I've, I've seen it, but I don't know what it is. So I took him a whole pie yesterday. So I'll swing by this week to see what he thought of it. Um, Because I said, I'll bring you a pie. And he's like, no, you won't. I was like, yes, I will. I'll I'll make a pie and I'll bring it to you. So um, we shall see if he likes my sweet potato pie. You know, we don't do pumpkin pie at all. I think that's an abomination. Like, who's doing that? Um, But it was a lovely holiday. Um, I had friends ages 33 to 87. So that was great. And then we gamble after Thanksgiving. (laughs) That's another tradition. That's play like a miscellaneous dice game. As bougie as we are. Um, so that's great. Um, but we missed you last week. We're glad you're back. Um, new memories, new celebrations. Listeners, uh, be sure to wish Katie and Harry happy birthdays. And it's not too late to send us. Well, I mean, if you didn't take a picture of your plate, you didn't take a picture of your plate. Um, so I guess everyone's got to go to Popeye's and get some fried turkey. If you call scuffing dressing, Reach out and let us know what's up because I don't know about that. And if you're in Jersey and you know why they call them speed humps there instead of speed bumps, uh, the world wants to know. Oh, I don't know what I call them. Hmm. Hmm. Go next. F-A-Q. F-A-Q. F-A-Q NYC is a part of The City, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting journalism that serves the people of New York. Right now, the city is in the middle of its year-end fundraising campaign, and Cyber Tuesday is a great day to pitch in. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to support our work is by setting up a monthly recurring donation by going to thecity.nyc give. If you already make a monthly donation and want to add a special one-time gift, you can also do that at thecity.nyc give. As ever, FAQ's work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc. And the pod also receives support from P&T Knitwear, an independent bookstore, cafe, and event space on Manhattan's Lower East Side with a podcast studio that can be freely reserved for community use. The podcast is a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of independent journalists, critics, and artists, and is affiliated with the Colin Powell School at CUNY City College, where our co-host Christina Greer is one of the Moynihan Public Scholars Inaugural Fellows. Our hosts for this episode were Dr. Christina Greer and Harry Siegel, who's also our executive producer. And I'm our engineer, Adam Kimera. Thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, and we'll be back soon with more.